Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment. An hour for inquiry, reflection, questions, and more. All in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof. An hour that recognizes the nature of the subjective experience as being at least as important as the so-called objective reality we reside within. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. Last week, the show was all about my new online video seminar that is still available free for another week. Sue wrote, I really love the show this week, and I just finished watching the video. I have never known two hours to go so quickly. I found it very thought-provoking, particularly as I saw the Christ figure and thought of carrots, Denmark, and elephants. Oh, dear. <laughs> Don't worry, Sue. It's only mind control techniques. <laughs> but innocent ones designed, as you know, to show, to show you just how easy we can all be manipulated and all the time think that we're making our own decisions. And as for the Christ figure... Well, what do you say when you see him come right out of your own wall in your own home? Okay. Okay, BC wrote, I have been enjoying some of your Hay House programs for a while. Your free video, which I watched yesterday, prompted me to do a middle-of-the-night life review of mysterious meaning moments. And it has turned my life around. I now see that emphasis here has been added by the author. There is a light within the body. Nothing else is that important. The letter continues. This is transformative from the first moment of gaining that perspective. I wanted you to know your gift becomes a gift indeed. I am astonished with the alchemical power of what seems to be an informal lecture. Okay, now I, I have to tell you, BC, for me, the intent of the lecture is realized when just one person discovers what you have. Enjoy the light. Linda wrote, Dear Dr. Taylor, I just wanted to send a personal thank you as your book as well as lectures were an integral part of my doctoral dissertation. I received my letter of acceptance along with comments about the points I used referencing your work, noted by the board as, quote, your enthusiasm is derived from the work of excellent selection of authors, including Eldon Taylor, end quote. Your work is not... Only help me personally, but professionally as well, and I keep the Intertalk catalog on my desk so that my clients may select the desired CDs to ensure they stay on their chosen path. Again, thank you, and God bless. Well, Linda, thank you both for the feedback and the blessing. Now with a dissenting opinion, Rhonda wrote, I enjoyed the first half of your book, and then I read about Fox News. I thought you were enlightened, and you're obviously not. Explanation point. Well, the book she has to be reading or was reading and is writing about has to be what does that mean? Because I do cover uh, a story about Swan in, uh, in what does that mean? Those of you that follow my work know that I consider it our responsibility to weigh both sides of our 
you know, issues, uh, all equations, if you will. And as such, I'm not above uh, watching or commenting on Fox, MSNBC, CNN, or any other reporting agency. They all get it right sometimes, and they all run amok with their own agendas from time to time. So, Rhonda, sorry, no apologies coming from me. Now, Oliver wrote, love your work. It's always so enlightening. Thanks, Oliver. What can I say to that, Raph? I mean, to one, I'm dim, unenlightened, and to another, I'm enlightened. Not much. It takes all sorts, but you have always said if you can just help one person... That's all that matters. So, All right. Well, Deborah wrote, love your show. It's always informative and expansive. Millie downloaded one of our free MP3 programs and left this note. I would love to learn and try your InterTalk programs. I listen to Hay House Radio, and I really like your program and the topics you talk about. Well, thank you, Millie. And for all of you, these free MP3 programs are there to help you. No strings attached. They're available on my website, eldentaylor.com, at no charge whatsoever. There are many titles to choose from, and you can download them all if you wish. This is the patented and scientifically proven effective InterTalk technology, and I do mean scientifically, a number of double-blind studies run by independent researchers at leading institutions. Indeed, governments have actually tested this technology. There's not samples. This is a real deal. We think of it as part of our Pay It Forward program, so please go get yours today. Judith wrote, Eldon, your Bliss and Sleep Soundly CDs have helped me greatly, but the hypnosis session has been so healing for me. After using it this last six months, I am now able to breathe instead of living each moment holding my breath with tension. My beloved mother was a very tense and nervous person, and because I adored her, I absorbed that part of her, I absorbed that part of her too. I am now 60 years of age. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I actually, it actually feels good to be in my body. Judith, thanks for the letter. You have given me another warm fuzzy. I deeply appreciate that. Love and light to you as you enjoy and learn to frolic in that wonderful body of yours now. All right, that's all the time we're going to take uh, today for our letters, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website or by emailing me, Eldon, at eldentaylor.com and or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all your letters, even though we don't have time to share them on our show. Uh, that said, they do impact our programming. So once again, thank you. Thank you, all of you. Now to today's program. What is God? Not who is God. What is God? Now, we we take on a lot of subjects on this program, Ravinder, but this one reminds me of a final examination, a two-hour blue book, one question, Upper division philosophy question. That question, and God created the heavens and the earth. Discuss. Two hours. Open blue book. What are you going to write, Rev? Not much. (laughs) Never was much of a philosopher. Okay, where do you start? That's the question. I mean, this this is a Christian verse, but there are very similar verses in many religious epics. So do you approach the question from a relativistic perspective, comparing and contrasting world religions? Or would it be more advisable to examine the question from the perspective of its ontological evidence? Indeed, do we go at this scientifically or metaphysically, philosophically or metaphorically? Do we discuss the traditional arguments, both pro and con, such as the teleological and the cosmological 
uh, arguments of St. Thomas Aquinas? Do we begin uh, with the ancient Greek uh, text, theogony, or do we start with more primitive religions, uh, you know, views held by animistic beliefs? Is God exclusive? I mean, is God the God of one people, and or is there only one right way to be saved? Is God a man, a woman, androgynous, or what? Stephen W. Hawking speaks of a point known as singularity, and then the ensuing Big Bang. From nothing, singularity, everything, the expanding universe, etc., etc. So is God the Big Bang, the singularity, or both? For that matter, does there have to be a God at all? Sigmund Freud thought the entire notion was a sugar-coated neurotic crutch. The philosopher John Wisdom put it this way, paraphrased, Isn't it nice? Doesn't it feel good? Isn't it kind of like having Daddy there to watch over and protect you? Noted atheist Richard Dawkins, author of the best-selling book, The God Delusion, thinks of the entire matter as something less bright people invent and cling to, a delusional way in which they manage the matters of their world. However, the world's most notorious atheist, Professor Anthony Fu, turned deist just six years before leaving this life behind on April 15th of this year. Professor Flew, who I admit had some significant impact on my own philosophy, penned in his last book, There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind, his well-thought-out, solidly-researched reasoning for this significant departure from a lifetime of thought and writings. So prominent people disagree. What do you think is God? Our guest today says, quote, In every corner of the world, there's one question that can never be definitely answered, yet stirs up equal parts passion, curiosity, self-reflection, and often wild imagination. What is God? End quote. Okay, before we get fully into today's subject, I want to invite you to join us with your questions and comments. And one more thing, if you have seen God, you know, the Moses kind of seeing, then do please call and share with us what you saw. All right, our guest today is filmmaker Peter Roger. His new film, Oh My God, explores the answers to what is God. He did this by visiting 23, uh, 23 countries and asking just that one question. His answers range from the deeply mystical to the defiantly atheistic remarks, stating flatly, in answer to the question, what is God? rubbish. So to some, God is then, what, rubbish? Peter Roger grew up looking through a camera lens. As a teenager, the award-winning British director honed his skills by assisting his father, George Roger, the renowned photojournalist and co-founder of Magnum Photos. After completing his education at England's Maidstone College of Art, his skill with the lens made him one of the most sought-after talents in Europe and the United States. Peter's exhibited his fine artwork all over the world and has won numerous awards for his filmed work. He has penned seven screenplays, including his 2009 Comfort of the Storm. After three years of filming, Peter complete, completed producing and directing the epic nonfiction film entitled Oh My God, which theatrically released in the United States on November 13th of last year. And I'm going to tell you this. You're going to want to see this film. But I'll give you more on that in a minute. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Peter Roger. Thanks, Eldon. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's indeed our pleasure. So how's the film doing? 
It's doing pretty good. I mean, I think uh, it's going it, to. The marketing is being held over when the book comes out, which is March the first, and uh, Lionsgate are uh, releasing it on VOD, uh, which is you know a really good way to get it out there um, early next year. So everything will be coming together much more as we progress towards those marketing points. But so far, it's done pretty well. So it's just a matter of getting the work out there and hearing what people have to say about this often. Um, personal subject. I, I have to tell you, Peter, you know, I, I'm a student of uh, comparative philosophy, religious philosophy. Um, I, I think I've, I've read uh, just about every argument, if not uh, all of the arguments that have to do with uh, religion, uh, looked at the different uh, uh, religious practices. Uh, and, and, and watching your film last night, and, and for me, that was the second time I watched it with my wife. Uh, I, I had to. I came away from this thinking, you know, every individual on this planet who is interested in understanding the idea of God and how this idea is held uh, among all the people of the world, and 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 even why it is held among all the people in the world. As opposed to years and years in a university or in the textbooks, or you know, they should just watch your film. It's an absolutely incredible film, and it is so very well done. Well, thanks, Eldon. That's precisely the reason I wanted to make it in the first place, because I felt that people think too much about the whole subject, and if only we can let go to a degree and realize you know, exactly who we are and not worry about our political situation, what other people think, and trying to persuade people to come into our little clubs so that we can extract money from, etc., and then using perhaps, you know, a deity's name to execute that, then I think the world would be a better place. So for me to go around the world and ask people on an individual basis, what is this entity that goes by the name of God, became ultimately quite important. Okay, now your film opens with several clips that uh, I see as in absolute juxtaposition. You know, we get the good and we get the evil in the world. I'm sure yep. you intended to do this, so, so tell us why. Well, I think that everybody is entitled to their opinion. Um, and I, you know, in 93 minutes, wanted to get as much opinion as possible from as diverse a group as possible and from, you know, different geographical locations. And so by doing that and spending all the time going and asking the questions, you come up with a lot of conflicting answers uh, to that particular question. And to me, to, to have things which uh, from the outset are contradictory is great because then you can explore on a more um, individual basis what people actually think. So, yeah, in the beginning I put down, you know, some of the clips which are very, very poles apart from each other. And some are just, you know, darn right bigoted and politicized and, and, you know, blinkered and not aware, and others are very open and, and full of awareness. So and, that and, really set the tone of the film. And, I, you know, I was particularly taken by children in Louisiana that, uh, that, that told you that, you know, um, of course they believed in God, but God left during uh, Yeah, he know, wasn't Katrina. around when the storm hit. Uh, yeah, he, he was evacuated to another city in the sky. I yeah. mean, the innocence with which some of these people respond uh, is, is just, you know, beyond words. Yeah, and I think that what... I think there's a, a ready answer from everybody when you first ask the question. And this comes from 
people being conditioned as a child from living in a certain area, living under the jurisdiction of a certain religion, um, cultures, different uh, practices that go on in different countries, etc. And so people, in my opinion, um, don't really think very much about what God is. They just regurgitate what they've been told and how that fits into their grand plan and grand scheme of life. And I think that has an awful lot to do with personal awareness and development of a human soul, um, just to sort of take whatever, you know, those people in that building over there tell you every Sunday, Saturday, or Friday, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, immediately you get conditioned answers. But when you ask children, children, funnily enough, are very open, and, and they're much more logical than adults who have sort of embraced the indoctrination of, of peers and society. So children are really kind of of great gauge to find out an honest truth. And I, li I like that guy's the little boy's comment, you know, well, what, where, were, where was God when the big storm hit? Well, he evacuated to another city in the sky. Well, to him, that's his reality, because God is the savior for him, I suppose, is what he's been taught, probably as a Baptist. And, you know, he just wasn't around that day. And, right. and to him, that's the only way that he as a human being at his age could channel that. And as, you know, as an innocent child, you, you think about, you know, we, we are raised in uh, most cultures. Uh, indeed, uh, there is a, you interview a Native American who just simply calls God a man. But we're raised in most cultures to kind of think of God as like a father image or a father-mother image that is there to protect us. And so, you know, a child has not yet had to wrestle with the so-called problem of evil. And, and it would seem just very natural for them to come up with, well, where was dad or where was mom at the time? Well, you know, they were in another city. Otherwise, they would have taken care of me, huh? Absolutely. And I think that this is where... The, uh, the whole concept and the whole entity of God and the question of it becomes deeply fascinating because I think that there are, um, you know, little gauges, just like you pointed out in that child, that happen with all of us, whatever age we are and whatever background we, we come from. And I think there's a great difference between what people think God is and what our heart and, and you know, our life experience on planet Earth guide us to believe it should be. And I think that there is a lot of similarity between all the religions that have this um, you know, the harbour back to prophets of times past, etc. But also I find there's an awful lot of conflict, which uh, comes from the, the um, you know, the, the sifting through of all the religious books and the dogma that come from those prophets who I think are saying the same thing. So I think it's deeply convoluted. And I also think it's deeply simple at the same time. And I think children have that simplicity that you pointed out because of the father figure. But what about adults? You know, what about adults who are conditioned to believe that unless you do this or that, you know, you won't go to hell or you will go to heaven, and, and their job is to convert other people because they want to save other people? Um, it's when you get onto those levels that you realize that there's a great difference between what's in our hearts and where we should be going as far as awareness and enlightenment and understanding and what people actually do in God's name. All right. Well, now to that end, this is provocative enlightenment. I've, I've got, you know, I'm going to have to ask you about something you've, you, you're on record as saying, Peter. All right. Okay. Before what you am I on record as saying? What? Okay. Well, before you made the film, you were quoted as saying, I was, a, this is quote, I was amazed in a shrinking world of enhanced communication. Mankind can be so seemingly narrow minded. There seems to be such a childish schoolyard mentality that permeates our world. I call it the my God is greater than your God syndrome. I'm with you to this point, by the way. 
Where you have grown men flying airplanes into buildings shouting, God is great. Where you have the leader of the free world telling the BBC in 2003 that he invaded Iraq because God told him to. Where you have the constitution of a country, Iran, that dictates that its supreme leader is God's representative on earth. Where you have young men and women blowing themselves up uh, and innocence others to buy a place into heaven. All right, now that's end quote. That's your quote, Peter. So now obviously, I, I take from this quote that you're somewhat frustrated by at the time you made those remarks. My yeah, question I think, I think... goes to this. The White House dismissed as absurd the allegations made in the BBC TV series that President Bush claimed God told him to invade Iraq. Uh, in fact, their statement, quote, he's never made such comments were the words of the White House spokesman Scott McClellan. And that, and the fact is there's no evidence that this happened, only the biased statements by the Palestinian negotiator Nabil Shath. I mean, this is the kind of language designed to divide along religious lines and turn a conflict with radical Islamic jihadists into a religious war between Muslims and Christians, isn't it? So do you stand by those comments, Peter? Well, I only read what I read off the Internet. I mean, the, the point is that the, it brings up a certain point that people do have. Okay, you're harboring on one, okay? But I don't think that you can deny that there is evidence that people on that plane um, who were on telephones were saying that uh, when it crashed into the Twin Towers, people were going, God is great. I don't think that you can, um, you know, you can undermine the fact that... Um, you know, there are suicide bombers, women and men, that blow themselves up, and their motivation to doing that is to get themselves into a better place into heaven. I don't think you can deny that any kind of um, religious terrorism is, is, is going on in this world. So, you know, um, and, and that quote, by, by the way, did come from uh, a comment that, um, that President Bush said to Mahmoud Abbas in 2003. So, um, you know, whether it's distorted because of what the BBC reported or whatever, the point is it does make a point that people do have opinions about their God being greater than other gods. And I don't really think it just stops at, you know, international, negative-minded, um, childish terrorists. I think it goes right the way through our whole culture and system. So, okay. um, basically, the message of what I'm saying is accurate. So I stand by it. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take you to task on the political side of that. But when we come back after the break, I am going to ask you about the intent of those kinds of provocative um, statements uh, when when you're creating the film of the kind that you are. And, and if there is uh, perhaps some kind of uh, contrast here going on inside Peter Roger. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. Radio for your soul. We're discussing nothing less than God. We will return after a short break and a few words from our friends. Be sure to stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. Every day, every moment, we face choices. Yet, how many of those choices are truly our own? Are you ready to step onto the path of discovery? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions. Now revised, updated, and expanded. Eldon combines provocative information, scientific research, and his own life's journey into a powerful message that we have the power to change. All we must do is be willing to choose to take the chance and change. 
Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the question, what is God? Uh, But before we get back to today's show, I want to remind you to like, in the words of Facebook, our Provocative Enlightenment Facebook page. And while you're there, I invite you to join me personally on Facebook as a friend. Finally, be sure to check out the free programs and sign up for our free newsletter when you visit eldentaylor.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Before the break, uh, Mr. Peter Roger, filmmaker of a wonderful movie, and I'm going to suggest to all of you out there in Hay House, Hay House has a distribution right on this movie. You can get it at Hay House, or there are links at my website. You want to get this movie, period, end of quotation. Oh, my God. But, but before we went to break... Uh, Peter and I were discussing, uh, or I was leading Peter to something I will call a motive. Peter, you have been uh, criticized, if you will, by one of your film critics for perhaps bringing an agenda to your film, a predisposition. Would you say that you had any hidden biases before you started the film? No, really, and uh, I wasn't aware that anybody said that I I, I had any kind of predisposition. Uh, Well, maybe Um, that's my interpretation. Here, Stephen Holden said this. He said, especially when interviews, uh, when he interviews Muslims in the Middle East and in the United States, oh my God, becomes sidetracked as different speakers offer varying interpretations of the Quran and the spiritual becomes political. When he wonders who will go to heaven and who will burn in hell, Islamist extremists and evangelical Christians alike become proprietary about one true faith. Well, you know, the psychologist in me sees the comments that we discussed just before the break, juxtaposing, of course, uh, the the different gods. My God's more powerful than yours, and then and then I and I read this. Uh, a critique of your movie, following the movie, and I have to ask you, did you go into this movie with the idea that you wanted to show the insanity uh, between these contrasting views? Uh, I did, yeah, because it, it is insane, and I don't think it has anything to do with God, and I think it is a politicization, and I think that's very clear in the film, that uh, this film is not about religion. This, this film is about what people think God is. 
And I think that there is a distinction there. And I think that the uh, you can't actually execute that kind of distinction unless you ask um, people with different opinions who come from political, uh, religious political backgrounds uh, the same question. And then, therefore, you have the conflict, which then ultimately makes it much more interesting to see how different people's views mold our world and that there is somebody on the left that says one thing and somebody on the right that says something diametrically opposite um, based upon prophets that actually said very similar things. So uh, to me, that was a, a fascinating point. And, you know, I, I did want to uh, try to get to the bottom and understand why somebody would go that their God is greater than somebody else's God and, and do nefarious acts or do acts which are actually contrary to what their prophets preached in order to try and put their word across using God's name. So there was a bit of an agenda there. Um, so maybe, you know, the, the critic isn't, isn't that far off the mark. I mean, uh, the thing is that I wanted to go in as objectively as possible and not put my own opinion across. Um, and I think that's much uh, more important than putting in political discussions in the film that actually, by, uh, by default, has to look at those political discuss discussions. So, you know... If I didn't put it in, it wouldn't be so interesting because it really molds the I think, whole point. I mean, you're absolutely right, uh, and and I think you did a very artful job at that. I was I was actually astounded by the number of religious people that when you handed them the question, "What is God?" instead of answering that question, what they what they began to tell you was all about their religion and all about their beliefs. And, and, and indeed, in that sense, they were describing how they how they believed God as opposed to what God actually was. Well, I don't think that they were capable of describing what God actually was or is. Um, I'm not really sure that anybody is. They only have to rely on their regurgitated conditioning, which is what I touched on earlier. And I, I really do believe, having gone around the world, that this is a fundamental problem. Um, and it also is a very sensitive problem. I think that human beings, when you break it down, are very primitive little organisms on a very large rock in a very scary vacuum. And I think we're driven by fears. We're driven by fears about where we came from and where we're going to go after we die. And so we're desperate to hold on to something that can give us answers. Religion, to a certain extent, does that for an awful lot of people and societies collectively. Okay, and, and I think that what I came away from by making this film is you can hold on to something in life without having to push people away. That saying that your club is better than somebody else's and that gives you the right to an afterlife or whatever kind of you know, um, ideas you have um, about when you die and who you are as a human being is, is one thing, but you don't push people away. And, and I think that on an individual basis, human beings are, you know, they have, they have a humanity in them that is innate and, and there. And I think that a lot of religions actually take us away from that wonderful sense of awareness that some, some of us have grown up with or had from a child or had from, from wonderful experiences of love. And, you know, trash it. So when you ask people, you know, what is God, those who, who are frightened and, and never really thought about it and didn't really want to go down the road of what happens when they're dead or did they, were they a soul choosing a, a baby to come down to earth or what is earth and where's the universe and how big's the universe and where am I, right? If they never asked those questions and meditated on those questions, of course they're going to hold on to some kind of structure. And that structure, unfortunately, over, over years has become politicized. 
And, and I think this is a really big thing that comes out of the film. We overcomplicate matters so much that it does become a political, political situation. And I think it's really sad. I, I concur, totally concur. Do you, did you, as a result of your, I mean, I'm going to digress. I, I am going to suggest that when you went into making this film, um, you, per, you perhaps uh, uh, would be considered an agnostic. Is that true or correct? Absolutely correct, yeah. Okay, so is that true or correct? That was a trick question, Peter. You yeah. know, no, that's all right. <laughs> it's correct and it's true. Okay. <laughs> so now I'm also going to project that based on what I got out of the film, you came out much less of an agnostic, but but not a, a religious person in any institutional organized way. Is that correct? That is correct. Tell us about that transition. Tell us about what it was. And I mean, you were there. You experienced it all. What was it that that happened that gave rise to compelling that change in you? Um, the, um, I mean, it was uh, a slow build over an awfully long time and over an awful lot of circumstances that went into the making of this film, like a, a massive journey for me. Now, I mean, I really do believe that there is something greater than the sum of all our parts. I don't believe that my body and me on this earth is it. I do believe that there is something greater in another dimension uh, that some people refer to as heaven, other people can refer to as hell. Um, I believe that there is an immense amount of power that is untapped, and I feel that just by looking into a soul's eyes. Okay? So mm -hmm. to me, there is something greater than the sum of what we think we are. Uh, a lot of people would then take that thought process and go, well, what is that? And then they would either go the religious route or they would go up to a monastery in sort of uh, Tibet or something and try and find enlightenment. Well, for me, um, I just think it's, it's about balance. And I think you can relate um, physics and you can relate spirituality, and I think they all intertwine. And I think and there's some great... Um, teachings that come actually more in the book than, than from the film, which I really, really related to while making this journey. One of them was then Buddhism, which I find very fascinating, which draws on the concept that there is actually no God, but, you know, we're actually in paradise now because we're already saved, and we can make this paradise, or we can make this our hell, and the choice is ours. Um, then you have um, relations between... Uh, physics and um, spirituality that Dr. John DiMartini has touched upon um, and, is, and is given a lot of time in my book, which is coming out in March, um, because I love his philosophies of balance and how you can't have a left without a right, a black without a white, you know, a war without a peace even. And so when you understand the grand scheme of the universe, then you understand that that very thing is the equation that makes us tick. And that's the thing that perhaps we should be looking to as being what a lot of people refer to as God. So for me, at the end of the day, I came away with this great sense of, of understanding, of simplistic way of, of looking at life, that life is a wonderful balance. It's, and, and God is a word that is overused, misused, and sometimes abused to describe the wonderful balance of nature and the laws of the universe. So for me, in a way, you could say that that is, you know, a spiritual outcoming. But it, it also makes me realize that you can't um, dismiss things and expect to live life happy forever, because it just will never, ever happen. And the very negative things that are thrown to, it, thrown to us are thrown to us from, 
for a reason, and that reason is for us to learn to become a better person. And you can't live life without those negative things, because those are the things that make us whole. So this whole nirvana thing, this whole leading your life on this earth to get you a place in the afterlife, which is constantly fantastic, and, you know, one big party, uh, which a lot of religions preach, I think is futile and is missing the point. I think what we have to do is learn that we are in a position to make the most out of our negative days as we are out of our positive days and live in a state of balance. And if that is where I came from, that's what I believe. I love it. I'm reminded of Mark Twain in Letters to Earth. He essentially says, you know, why on earth uh, would, would people give up everything in this world that would really create happiness so that in the other world they could sit around and listen to harps, something they can't stand to do in this world? Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, but I, before we leave the subject, you have to tell me the name of the book that's coming in March. And is this a Hay House book? It is indeed. It's being published on March the first, and it's uh, the, it's it's a double-folded book in a way. It's the Adventures of Making the Film, which is a bit like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, m- matched with um, with what people said, and you know the journey as, as it unfolded. And it's called the OMG Chronicles. The ONG. Uh, oh, okay. The, Chronicles. The, I like that. That's good. We both have books coming in March. We, we're both We're saying a lot of the same things, too, by the way. Listen, you, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I want to come back and spend some more time on that. But one of the things that I noticed right away in the film that I have to ask you about is you were running a number of soundtracks under the scenes. And especially in the in the beginning, in the opening, you had there were conversations that were going on, and these conversations were sometimes uh, you know, metaphysical, and they sometimes were so metaphysical. But the, there was a repeated verse also going a repeated repeated saying, "Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God!" several times. Did you do this for strictly ascetic purposes, or you know, I'm sorry, but again, what I do for a living uh, is this my subliminal message for the day? No, it was done for aesthetic purposes, just to sort of set the tone and the opening sequence, which um, we termed internally as the overture, just to make a, a sort of snapshot at life of people like ants on this planet and sort of little sound bites from different places and different parts of the world sort of interwoven in and out of that scene just to sort of set um, a, a tapestry, if you like. And then it goes from that overture area, which is, a, as I said, a snapshot of, of planet yeah. Earth, into people's opinions and it becomes humanized and then we outstretch from there on a geographical kind of journey so that you can see the differences in different cultures and different religions um which you know are embraced in the film and you know then it sort of goes on a so, so i mean it was done intentionally just sort of it wasn't really meant to be like you know one of those totalitarian broadcasts of putting you know <laughs> well things i have across to ask. That you subconsciously you know, yeah. refer to I, see, later yeah, I have to ask because I do a, I do a lot of radio shows where you know basically it, it is all about some new subliminal content designed to sell you a politician or a product or something, and of course here comes your movie and I start picking this up and then I isolate watch oh my god and it's it's coming from two different speakers and it's like well now that's a real interesting subliminal that is intended to be uh, so anyway I had to ask you Peter. That's all right. No, I'm glad you brought it up, actually. Okay. Uh, 
Ravinder, I'm gonna. I, I want you to chime in here because, uh, as Peter was describing what changed his life, he was really talking about his gestalt of events. Mm-hmm. And and you hear me in a lot of lectures saying, look inside, look at look at your life, look at your matrix, if you will, as it unfolds your experiences. That's how you find spirituality. You watch the film. And as opposed to look at the film in segments like I did, as opposed to analyzing it as I did, you told me that you came away with? I found it a lot bigger than all of that. It was as though you have all of the all the conflict. You get the extremist Islamists or the extremist Christians. But all of those views couldn't dampen the God within. And that's what came out to me in this movie. It's like this will survive regardless of the crazy people out there you know the connectedness of everyone was just remarkable i found the movie incredibly inspiring but not in the traditional way it wasn't airy fairy and soft and you know warm and cuddly but it was just incredibly inspiring i mean there are several sections in the movie in particular that really moved me the piece that we know where peter was in Israel and you had the Palestinian man and the Jewish man Mm -hmm. and the two of them I mean they were just two old men who were great friends and it was just there was a gorgeous picture at the very end where the two of them are walking off hand in hand and it's like that is God you found it right there it doesn't matter what anybody says there it is Reality is relative to relationships. That's what you will take out of this world, not your swimming pools or your diplomas or your awards, etc. Peter, that's a pretty good accolade. What, what do you have to say well, about that? Well, I was that? just about to say thank you, Ravinda, because that's um, really well, thank what I, you, I, Peter. It is a remarkable movie, so thank you. And I, I think that to, to the other area in the film, and I don't want to give it away for any viewers who haven't had a chance to see it yet, but what I found most poignant was in the cancer hospital talking to those children. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you ask kids, you know, who are, who are well, you, as we've touched on earlier, you get great, honest answers. But when you get, ask kids who are challenged um, and might not be, you know, playing tennis and football and running around and going to college because they're being faced with a horrible challenge of cancer, um, their, their points of view to me were, were very poignant. And I, I found that if if there was an evidence of of the amalgam of everything that that is God, it came out of those words from um, Christian Hernandez, who, who was one of the kids in that hospital. I'm not going to give it away because I think it was a really strong moment. But um, that was the intent, I think. I mean, I just wanted to break down the world so that we respected one another and, and could perhaps learn from another, one another and understand different cultures and find that then not that different from ours and why do we have to block them out and you know if there's something to learn that'll make us better people and you know one group hug basically um and i think that that is what humanity does and i think that's the journey that we're on now as human beings with communication and internet and tvs and radios and cell phones is to be able to make those jumps and embrace people rather than push people away and that was basically the the true motivation behind making this film. I, I tell you, I was deeply moved and very inspired by the children, period, in, in your film. And when you talk about the cancer hospital, you know, that's one that uh, 
when anybody sees it will bring a tear or bring a goosebump or maybe both to, to everybody. It's an absolutely beautiful film. But it is a beautiful film, too. How important were the aesthetics to the film to you? I mean, they didn't happen by accident. This is, this is I mean, this is really an extravagantly done movie. Well, thank I mean, I have to say I had a great training. You know, I... My father was a photojournalist, as you mentioned before. He, learned, he taught me how to learn how to see, which is different than teaching me how to shoot. He, he, le- he taught me how to understand a story through a camera lens. And, you know, I, I'd honed those skills for clients, for advertising for many years. And making Oh My God was an opportunity for me to be my own client, as it were. And I, also I think that the world we live on, this planet Earth, is so remarkably beautiful in every every aspect of it and and a lot of us take it for granted you know it is it is an absolute expression of complete balance well until we mess it up with global warming that is but um right now we can still appreciate it and so for me to shoot it in such a way that gave homage to that wonderful sense of spirituality that is right around us on an everyday basis in the weather in the sky and the rocks and the vistas and in people's eyes was the most important thing that I could do to put across this whole idea of God, you know, in, in, in film terms. And so for me, it was a great pleasure just to take a camera and shoot this beautiful place. It, 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 I mean, it is remarkably moving. I, I have said many times, because I grew up in a rather agrarian culture, that it, there's no such thing as a farmer uh, that is an atheist. You know, they're in the fields, they're in nature, they're working with uh, the seasons, they're, they're growing. The, and, and there is something about nature that just touches you in a way that that, that does give rise to uh, inspiring uh, some aspect within your being to recognize both the, the nature of how well, such a tiny aspect of the total we are and, and, and at the same time, what an integral part of, of the cosmology of it, of, of this glorious everything that we are also. And I think, I think in that, we are moved in what I think of as a truly spiritual sense. I couldn't agree with you more. And I also think that um, really wild places have, have a wonderful vibe about them. And the people that live in those wild places, and I talk about the Himalayas a lot, uh, or I refer to that, and then the plains of Africa. Um, there is such, um, and, you know, and also Australia, I have to say, in the outback there, there is great harmony between man and nature, and, and it's very um, evident in their belief systems. It's evident in, in the belief systems for uh, Buddhists, as far as, you know, just ex- accepting the world around them in the middle way. It's definitely... Um, very evident in indigenous populations, even from Druids to the Maasai to Aboriginal uh, cultures. You know, it's all about the land and, and what the land gives us. And it's a very special thing that most of us don't even think about because we get in our cars and go to work and we're so, um, we're so enslaved by our society and our routines that we don't really think for ourselves anymore. When we come home, well, what do we do? We don't even meditate and think about our day and what we learn we just turn on the television or converse maybe with some friends but that's about it you know we don't have that amazing sense of nature that i was lucky enough to grow up with and not many people are 
Yeah, me too. I feel exactly that way. We have a couple of minutes left, Peter. So uh, two things. First, I would like you to tell everyone in our audience uh, how they can find out more about you, uh, where to get your film, what your website is, maybe anything you've got coming up real quick like. Sure, absolutely. The best place to get the film is from either Hay House or its own website, which is www.omgmovie.com. One word, omgmovie.com. You can find out about me and my website, peterroger.com, P-E-T-E-R-R-O-D-G-E-R.com. The book is The OMG Chronicles. That's coming out um, in March, on March the 1st, with Hay House. That'll be a a lot of fun. It's a great fun read. It's very funny um, because I, I had the time to actually make it funny, but it's also very serious as well. And it's, and it's a wonderful snapshot of the world. Um, and that you can get on Amazon.com or um, best places, hayhouse.com. Again, just put in the OMG Chronicles and it'll come up. And that'll probably cover it. Oh, you can get it on, you can get the film on Netflix if you wish. Um, you can get it from Barnes & Noble, from Amazon.com, and most of the sort of places where you get DVDs. Great. And I have links at my site for those of you that are in the chat room. You can see them all there to lead you to them. Uh, Peter, I expect uh, Oh My God Chronicles, the OMG Chronicles, a signed copy from you when it, oh, uh, it's done. When it's, it's available. Done, <laughs> all right. Well, we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank you, Peter, for joining us. You've been a wonderful guest, and you have... Uh, indeed uh, created a marvelous film and i want to thank all of you out there for joining us and i hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week same time and same place and if you like our show do let us know remember wherever you are in the world until next time believing in yourself always matters <laughs>